Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. This is Sound and Vision on KEXP. Hollis released a new album on Friday. Here's a conversation she had with Larry Mizell Jr. back in October about the making of the record. I am so pleased to be sitting here with my good friend, Hollis, who is an amazing solo artist, has been rocking for years as part of Flavor Blue. Before that, The Heartfelt. Before that, a group called Canary Sing. Plop two coins in the slot and observe what you got. I'm a full-time professional freaking how I was Also done mad joints with Don't Talk to the Cops, my own band. We're all love family up in here. True. Hollis has been doing her thing. She's based out in Los Angeles these days. I uh, was going back and forth for a minute. You have a new album. Yes. Subliminal. Yes. Uh, I assume you made most of that during the pandemic. I did. I made it all during the pandemic. Okay. There was like a good stretch of time, like from March to October, that I felt completely incapacitated in terms of making music. Like, mm. I've always known that I'm a collaboration junkie and I love just feeding off the energy of people. And so when that possibility was removed to be able to share physical space with people in the creative process, I felt entirely stuck. And it felt like a death of sorts. I was just like, oh, okay, I don't even know if I can be an artist if I can't, like, if I'm physically isolated. So the pandemic for me was a journey and, like, really kind of forcing myself, or not even forcing myself, but just challenging myself to step into my own autonomy as a creator. Mm. And what I realized, I mean, surprise, like, being creative helped me process and understand and, like, tear open the lid of like how I was truly feeling and Mm. and all of the complex emotions that each of us were dealing with during the pandemic. And I think the album, it truly is like a testament and an artifact of those emotions and that processing of self. Yeah. So a lot of Zoom sessions, a lot of me tracking myself on a Shure 7B microphone and sending WAV files and just learning how to be a more self-contained and self-motivated creator. It was really hard, but I am thankful for the lesson amidst all of the BS that we all had to experience. Yeah. Uh, speaking of collaboration and the producers you were working with, I know one the, the lead single off of Subliminal came out in September. You worked on with producer Ryan Lewis. Was that a Zoom session? Did you do that? That was the one session that we did in person and we like all got, it was myself, Ryan Lewis and his new studio in LA where he moved to during the pandemic. Um, My girl, Keely Bumford, AKA Dressage, who's an amazing producer. Um, So yeah, we both, we all got swabbed. We got COVID tested twice before we got in the studio and it was each of our like first session with people since March and we were just like, ah, it's happening. Um, But yeah, definitely what resulted from the session was definitely like our pandemic anthem. (laughs) It is anthemic, too. (laughs) And it was the first time that Ryan and I have worked on anything 
for me. Like yeah. I, I worked with Ryan all, over 10 years ago um, as a music video producer and then a songwriter and then a featured singer. And I've worked with him a lot. And it was always for the Macklemore and Ryan Lewis project, which yeah. was a gift and like taught me so much about um, mm. how to do the hustle and do the do. But yeah, it's a different dynamic when right. you're working on my artist project that I'm just getting comfortable and like stepping into yeah. and owning and claiming and then to work with such like a demanding in the best way uh, collaborator yeah. like somebody who really this is not a dude that's just building the beat and just being like let me know when you wrote it and we're right. going to track it like it's every word it's every line it's every note like there's a rigor to his process and it was yeah definitely a paradigm shift to be able to work on it and for me to have to take autonomy like I'm not actually just the person the collaborator that's here to accommodate which is yeah. very safe like comfortable place for me to be um, yeah. yeah it was cool it was dope and I'm yeah I'm hella proud of the way that the song came out and Ryan is such a thorough producer and engineer and we probably did like six hours of vocal tracking for him to like create what we ended up creating and yeah just a really and he poured so much like love and hours into the to the project as well that I'm really thankful for. And the name of that song? It's called Let Me Not. Like Let, let Me Not. Let me not right now. <laughs> let me not bring down the vibe. Let me not tell you that that song is a banger. Thank you. It made me really happy to hear uh great, great sound. Uh you're really tapping into this vintage rock sound you sound really great with that and the video is fantastic you're really tapping into that energy kind of a grungy basement show vibe and you directed that video i did tell me about that so i started in music in music video production basically mm. i mean i was i was rapping with canary sing like yeah. we were doing our shows and doing our thing but like i think when i see my first like quote-unquote industry job yeah as having worked on production with Macklemore and Ryan Lewis on Wings and then Thrift Shop. I like inserted myself. I was like, I will produce this. And they're like, okay. I'm gonna pop some tags. Only got $20 in my pocket. I'm looking for a This is I feel really comfortable on music video sets. I love the just like the DIY, like frenetic adrenaline energy. It's like being on tour times five, like packed into like a day or two days. And I love creating visuals. And I think as I thought about this process, I mean, first of all, it's like, well, I'm the cheapest option as a director, right? right, right? So right. as an independent artist, I'm like, who? All right, it'll yeah. be me. But I think for me, again, like my tendency to want to uh, facilitate and create consensus and that kind of thing, like that's a, that's big producer energy, right? Yeah. So for me, challenging myself to step into a director, it's like, oh no, Hollis, like you're not just good at executing, like you can have a vision too. Mm. Like you can build out a world, you can build out the creative. And as I did, um, I had the great fortune of just thinking about, okay, like I could shoot this in LA and the locations, like if I want to shoot in a theater, it's going to be mad expensive. Like it's just going to be a struggle because everywhere in LA, everywhere is a set. Everywhere is like, this is my day rate. But in Seattle, it's like, I have deep relationships here and I can like, I mean, I can make... Seattle, we can make anything happen, like That's literally right. anything. So I was like, oh no, let's shoot this back in Seattle, like where I started, like mm. where I came up. As a music video producer, as an artist, Seattle is the reason why I am who I am, full stop, period. And I realized, I was like, oh, I'm creating a love letter to Seattle. This music video, you know, we wrote this song. I wrote this song with Pacific Northwest people in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's like our heart, our home is here. It's in, here in Seattle. And so I, and I did really want to channel 
you know, the legacy of rock and grunge in yeah. Seattle as well. And do an homage to that. I, we shot in the historic Moore Theater downtown, nice. which was an epic day. We got wild shots. Shout out to my cinematographer, Ed Tran, who like went above and beyond to make that super cinematic. And then we did these like epic ass shots at Magnuson Park. So it was just like, I was like, let's just like, yeah, create this love letter, create this homage, create this like beautiful dark postcard from yeah. the city that I love and who makes me who I am. And I got to step into my creative leadership and yeah. like flesh out a vision. And it was just so richly rewarding, just that process, um, the two days that we used to shoot it and all of the like untold hookups that all sorts of folks, like everybody hooked it up to make that come to life. And it was, yeah, it's so deeply rewarding for me as right a creative. On. Well, I'm really glad that you 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 came back here and did it. Right away, it reminded me of seeing you in a play. I saw you in, uh, where was that? Was that the? Act Theater. Act Theater, yeah. that's right. These Streets, uh, Greta Harley, who was in that video. Yeah. Um, a, a, another love letter to the grunge era. So it was very appropriate. That was a great callback. Thanks. Yeah, I was really fortunate to be in that original musical inspired by the Seattle the women of Seattle grunge, yeah. women of Seattle rock. A lot of those mm-hmm. women would be like, F grunge, grunge right, doesn't Right, right, me. right, right, right. Um, but that was actually my own education because I came up in hip hop, right? Mm-hmm. You already know. Yeah. You, you saw me as a, as a child wandering about these <laughs> Capitol Hill streets. These streets. These indeed. streets, those streets. Yeah. <laughs> Them streets. <laughs> but, you know, like I came up in Seattle, like very, very engrossed in the Seattle hip hop scene. And obviously I knew of Nirvana and I knew of like Pearl Jam, but I wasn't really that well versed in like the true, like, uh, like underground or independent or like whatever, however you would call it at the time, like the real like rock scene. And moreover, I mean, the untold history of the women in that scene, right? Like learning about the gits. Learning about seven year bitch. I knew about Riot Girl, but I had not really understood about like the culture like within Seattle itself. And um, that play really sought to tell those stories and being cast in that play. You know, it's hella funny though, because I don't know if you remember my character in the play was like a girl that was in a band and then she yes. got like called by a label in LA to go solo. Oh, that's right. That was totally the thing. Ooh. Ouchie. So I Ironies. was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've actualized well. What is uh, your time since you since you moved to Los Angeles? If you had to like boil down anything that like you've absolutely learned that blew your mind, I think leaving Seattle to move to Los Angeles felt necessary because I was feeling really stuck and stagnant. Yeah, in my own identity, I felt like I was kind of like trapped in a mirrored box and I couldn't get past who I was in the moment and I really desired to be a speck Mm. in the ocean that is Los Angeles and I grappled with like loneliness and isolation in a way that I never would have had I not left Seattle because the city is just so connected and I mean you can't you can't leave your crib without seeing three people you know so it's like I think I I obviously had a deeper appreciation for like the community here and knowing that I'm not willing to depart from that community. Mm -hmm. This community is so important to me. 
I think Los Angeles, yeah, it, I had to be a stronger person <laughs> in my own right in a lot of ways. I think, I don't know if I would have done my solo project if I hadn't left Seattle. Like, I don't know if I would have tried to, like, strengthen my resolve in a way. And I think L.A. is, it's a really tough place to be, especially if you're somebody who loves to be around other people because it's so disparate and there's, it's just yeah. difficult. Like, the distance is mm-hmm. so real. But I think it strengthened me because it took away all of the things I used to lean on mm-hmm. and that kind of like prevented my own growth in a certain sense or a hard look at who I am as a creative and as a person. And I mean, now I'm really thankful. It's, it's now that we can travel again, like it's the perfect counterbalance, like being, yeah. being able to come home to Seattle mm-hmm. and then also come home to Los Angeles. Like it feels for me, my Gemini self, nice. it feels really like a lovely balance. And I feel still like I never felt disconnected from Seattle and I still feel really connected to Seattle and the work that I do and the people that I work with. But I think that, yeah, LA, because of how kind of like isolated it is, you have to fight. I had to fight harder to understand myself and to define what happiness meant for me, frankly, mm. in a way that I kind of felt like in Seattle, it just like was, yeah. you know, I always miss the pho though. Oh, oh boy. I literally yeah. eat pho every night when I'm here. <laughs> you got night. to. Yeah. When I think about that, I talk about this actually all the time. If, if I wasn't here and I've not been here, the things that I miss the most, mm. pho, right. just Vietnamese food in general right. of a certain caliber, right. Ethiopian food. Oh, straight up. Oh, boy. And, of course, the Seattle dog. Things like that. I actually thought about starting a Seattle dog cart in Arizona. There you go. I actually might try to execute that one day. Don't tell nobody. I will, yeah. (laughs) IP is safe here on the podcast. I'm saying all day. I'm dead. That was Larry Mizell Jr. talking with Hollis back in October. She released a new album on Friday. Here's her song, Let Me Not.
That was Sound and Vision. I'm Larry Mizell Jr. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you have the means, please consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this podcast at kxp.org backslash sound. Thanks for listening.